It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Welcome to Back to Walls Business Australia's only uh, live streaming business and markets channel. Great to have your company on the call. Um, Mark Morland from Team Invest, welcome back to the call. You caught Mark and I swapping notes on a <laughs> stop. We'll bring you up to date with that um, a bit later on. Um, but some really interesting information coming in on that. Mark, great to have you Good to be on here. the call. Um, Mark's one of our two experts covering 10 stocks in 60 minutes. And the other one is an old mate of ours too, Claude, Claude Walker from A Rich Life. Claude... Uh, and Claude has gone into a different room of his house, so it's great to see, Claude, that you've done that. We don't just have, have the bookshelves this week. It's a temporary upgrade for me, I'm proud to say. <laughs> I'm enjoying it. Excellent. Well, great to have you aboard as well, as always. Looking forward to the next 60 minutes. Uh, 10 stocks, which are really interesting. Uh, thank you for sending them in. But, uh, of course, we always kick off with a stock of the day, and this week's so today's stock of the day has been synergy in the papers today because of the strains in retailing and declines in sales uh, as a result of COVID-19 lockdowns have seen this shopping centre owner launch a $1.4 billion capital raise. Now, vicinity says the value of its shopping malls have slumped between 11 and 13% up to the end of May. It's also at the front line of the retail wars between landlords and retailers. So I thought it was a good one to look at because if it's going to the market for a big capital raise, what happens to other shopping centre owners? Will they have to follow suit and are they just leading the charge? Uh, Claude Walker, um, do you follow vicinity? And, and is it a bellwether for, um, uh, for other big retail owners to maybe looking to raise? Well, it's a great question. And the short answers are not really. And yes, it is a bellwether. The reason I don't follow it very closely in normal times is because uh, these kind of property plays are not very high potential in terms of earnings. They're traditionally thought of as a safer option that probably has a good dividend yield. And what we've seen here is that not only is the share price not delivered safety to shareholders, but on top of that, they've actually suspended the dividend yield for the last six months. So if that is why people were holding it previously, you've got to ask, is that thesis broken? And then turning to the second and, and perhaps deeper question there is, you know, is this a bellwether for what is going to happen across a whole bunch of property trusts? I think that the answer is yes, because what we're going to see, in my opinion, over the next couple of years is a shift from uh, choosing to, in particular, work in offices, in big buildings, to trying to minimise that. 
And the reason that I think we'll see this shift is there's increasing evidence that the number one way that COVID spreads is when people are in an enclosed area with recirculated air for a long period of time. So I'm not saying I'm not saying that, you know, restaurants and bars and every retail shop ever is going to close. But what I am saying is that it is actually safer to be walking down Main Street, popping into a shop, having a look around, maybe buying something, than it is to be spending hours doing all of that in one <clears throat> big closed area. So I think there will be uh, a reset of what these assets are worth. Mm. Okay, Mark? Uh, no, I, I, I agree with that. I mean, this, they've got 100 and, I think you said 120, 110 shopping centres. Yeah. yeah. So it's a, it's a big player. And then regional areas as well. Yeah. Um, I think the... the what we, well, for a start, team investors never like REITs. Right. You know, so, and the reason is REITs are typically, uh, as Claude said, you, know, you have them for yield, uh, yeah. but they leverage them up massively. So they have massive debt levels. This one's actually not too bad compared to a lot of them from a debt load point of view, but they still have, a, they still have 6.3 billion in debt and their market cap is 5.9 billion. So they so, have more in debt than their market cap. Yeah, now cap. that's common. Right. Often yep. it's twice. Right. Uh, oh, right. Now, so what does that mean? That means that they, and then what they do is they typically pay out 100% and sometimes more than 100% of their earnings. Now, the right. reason they can do that is they're adding more debt. Right. So they're eventually borrowing money as they appreciate the assets. So the problem with REITs also is that they revalue the properties. And, the, and that's all a, a calculation based on rental yield and the cap rate and so on. Right. So that works in good times. So the property values are going up. And it, it, in, from a reporting of earnings point of view, it, throw, it flows through to the P&L which right. means that it looks like they're making a lot more money. And I was just looking at it, and then, for instance, in 2017, they made 180% net profit. In other words, they made 80% more profit than their, their revenue. Right. Now, now you okay. say, how can that be? Well, I would argue, I'd, I'm sure it's revaluation right. of properties. Okay. Now it's going in reverse. So, so that's why they've got to raise. Yeah, that's right. So they're raising 1.4 billion, which has been fully underwritten. So it's yeah. happening. Right? Yeah. Um, so I think it's Macquarie and Credit Suisse, but that's all happening. And they're doing a retail uh, raise of 200 million, which they're using that part to pay off debt. So right. it's not going to make a big difference, but it'll reduce their debt a bit. They've got plenty of cap. They've got plenty of cash in the business. Not, there's no risk of them going broke or anything. But I think what will happen is the the 13% drop in um, the evaluation of the properties is just the start of these right. problems. Yeah. So what we don't know yet is yeah. you know, what their occupancy rates are going to be like. And this, this is an industry issue for the yeah. ones that are in retail shopping centres. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily the ones that are in industrial. It's, a, it's sort of the first one that's revalued yeah. them down though, that's right. isn't it? That's, right. that's sort of the bellwether. And yeah. sort of if it's happened 13% from them, yeah. you start building that into yeah. all the others in the sector. Yeah, so that's a, just a start. But the trouble yeah. is, as the rent goes down, the property value accelerates on how it goes down right. because the rent reduces their yield and then depending on what the cap rate is on what multiple they're getting on the property you know property prices could could be half you know down the yeah. road if, yeah. if there's a significant drop in rents yeah. and just from what we know from the re major retail groups they're playing really hardball yeah. you know on the rents it's not just like oh we just want a holiday for the next few weeks until we're trading and once we're trading then we'll go back to paying you what we were paying for that's not what they're doing yeah. they want they want significant saying, reductions the and they want thing. a lot more variable so in other words, we want you, Mr. Landlord, to have a stake in our success. In other words, you generate the traffic and so on. And if you do that well, we'll right. pay you more because you're getting a percentage of sales. Yep. So Accent Group and so on, Nick Scarly, all of them are pushing very heavily. It used to be like fixed rate plus a performance yep. fee. They yep. want to turn it the other way around. Small fixed rate, mm -hmm. high performance. Okay. I, think it's, I think it's a very dangerous area to invest in and uh, I wouldn't touch it. Okay. All right. So uh, that's why we, we always have this talk of the day because... 
Um, a stock that's in the news can often lead to a reassessment of sectors and things like that. I find it fascinating. All right, let's get um, stuck into our top 10. Thank you for sending them through. And the first one, uh, why don't you kick off with uh, with this one, Claude? Nick Scarley, the, the furniture retailer, speaking of furniture, speaking of tenants in, uh, in shopping centres. What do you reckon of Nick Scarley? Well... From a broad, approach, a broad approach, I actually have nice things to say about it, which is really rare for me and when I'm talking about a old bricks-and-mortar retailer. And my background there is that when I had my first job doing research for a boutique fund, Nick Scarley was among one of you know a handful of companies we identified that had achieved really fantastic returns on invested capital over a long period of time. Now, you will not see that unless something special is happening. So in this case, I suspect it is partly to do with a founding family that run the business with a lot of care and attention to what works and what does not. So having said that, I think that this is one of the most investable retail stocks on the ASX, and I would definitely keep an eye on it if I wanted to buy retail stocks. The, the other side of the coin for me is that I don't think now is a fantastic place, a uh, fantastic time to be buying bricks and mortar retail stocks. Now, I think whatever changes need to happen, uh, if any do need to happen to this selling model that Nick Scarley currently has, I'm sure that they will do it in the course of time. Uh, I guess the real question is whether you think that it's just longer stronger great stuff from here for australia or whether you think come september when some of the stimulus job keeper and job keeper comes off and job seeker falls back down whether you might see a bit of a spending recession and that's my base case right now so i'm not particularly right. excited about any retailers except the pure online only stuff yeah yeah you're <clears throat> pure online you're with um you like temple and temple and webster yeah that's, that's exactly it. right that's so, your favorite right. i yep. think i've mentioned I've mentioned it a handful of times yeah. on the show, and its main advantage is it's just it's online first. It has the right brand for millennials, and look, it's yep. had a strong run now. But I don't really see value at current prices, although I do I do still hold. I have not been right. buying at current prices anymore. Okay, Matt, what do you think of uh, um, Nick Scarley? Uh, well, Nick Scarley is definitely uh, one of the best retailers in the country. You know, if you look at, I put it up there in the top two or three oh, yeah, as a retail. Uh, Team Invest uh, uh, love this company. We've been investing in it for a long time. And from, mem from a member point of view, most of our members have done well over 20% compound return wow. whenever you bought it, basically. As long as you pay, you know, we buy them when, they're, when it's out of favour, yep. like it yeah. is now. Yeah. So yeah. obviously retail is going to be uh, negatively impacted and they've been shut. They're reopened now. All the stores are reopened. They, um, he, the difference with their model compared to most is that it's a very clever model and we don't see any real disruptive risk from online yeah. uh, in their case. This is unique. And the reason yeah, yeah. is what they have is showrooms around the country and they own nine of their major ones in the capital cities as well. And what they do is they have floor stock. So you come in and you sit on the lounge suite you know, or you use their design services and whatever, and then you order it. They then, you pay a deposit. The deposit covers their manufacturing costs in Vietnam mainly and right. uh, some in China. And then what they do is they uh, drop ship it straight to the, uh, to the person. Right. So they're not carrying, yeah. effectively not carrying stock. Right. All they have is floor stock. Now what that means for the business 
is they have a 49% return on equity, which, wow. mean, which is you know, spectacular. And they have a net profit margin of about 16% after tax on, on sales. So, which is, you know, from a retail point of view, is spectacular. Yep, yep. But they've done it forever. I mean, they've never had below 35 return yep. on equity. Fantastic. Uh, Anthony Scarley is the and, CEO, family and business. You, and you would love that. That ticks a few of your oh, boxes. Yeah, no, pa- it family all, business. That passes all our filters. Yeah. We've got family ownership, uh, yeah. major skin in the game. We know Anthony yeah. Scarley very well. He's very conservative. Right. Uh, like he's, he's, dab- he's t- putting his toe in the water and thinking about uh, opening up something overseas. They're, at the moment, they're only in Australia and New Zealand. Yeah. And the reason he said when we spoke to him just before lockdown, actually, he came yeah. in to our Sydney meeting, um, was that uh, Harvey Norman and Domain and so on have actually done quite well in Asia with their stores. So he's, he's, that, that's, he's using that as well. That's encouraging. But he's very, very slow yeah. and stable. So he's not going to do anything radical, but the returns have been fantastic. Right. Uh, and at the moment, it's at uh, $5.70. It's on a PE of 12 on current earnings. So it's about half, well, it's, well, if the high was $8.45. It got down to two sixty-five. Yeah. in the, G, in the um, GFC, yeah, yeah, in the um, uh, pandemic, the pandemic. time. Yeah. Um, it's cheap now as long as you have a reasonable time frame. Right. You know, okay. So the, the next year's earnings are going to be terrible, and then after that, uh, they'll they'll jump straight back. Okay. Um, they, they they are a little bit uh, leveraged to housing in that they like um, transactions. It doesn't it doesn't matter about house prices going up. The more people trade or buy or sell, they, that's when you go and buy new lounge suites yeah. and so on. Um, so so this talk of the federal government stimulus uh, to encourage new new buildings yeah. and and particularly renovations works Absolutely. for. Um, your Nick Harvey Scarley. Dormans and Nick Scarleys yeah, and yeah, yeah. the whole lot. Yeah, so I, I, th- I think um, I did buy some in the $4, you know, so I'm right. happy about that. I'm a shareholder, obviously. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But going forward, uh, it's, it, there's a good chance you'll be able to buy it cheaper because, you know, the market is, it, from my view, at an irrationally uh, high value in right. considering what's going on economically. So yeah. as you said, by September and so on, when... JobKeeper starts coming off and the companies start reporting big downgrades in earnings. Yeah, uh, I think we're going to revisit the lows we had before. So, yeah. okay. uh, in my view, but yeah. there's a good chance you're about to buy it in the in the twos okay. or threes, and and I'm sure uh, anyone who does will be really happy. Okay, so yes on a pullback. Yeah, and on a five year horizon. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Our, our <coughs> second stock, uh, Cord, has been suggestion has been sent in by Max Eleanor Investments and Investment and Funds Management Group. Um, Mainly in, in real estate, isn't it? Sort of commercial, retail, tourism, real estate. Yeah, that's right. This is a slightly uh, under the radar kind of property play, similar to vicinity centres in a broad sense, but kind of specifically approach, uh, it has an approach of buying assets that might be a little bit more distressed and trying to add value over the long term. Now, this is interesting to me because I don't think it will necessarily need to raise capital and in any event it's trading quite a bit below its NTA and it has a variety of uh, different levers it can pull. Now I think that the key point actually I should have uh, mentioned at this point is this is the fund manager. So this isn't the, it does actually own uh, shares in the properties that it invests in but it is also the fund manager. So it's, it's not the same as actually just investing in the property itself because what they're doing is they are taking fees for managing this portfolio of various different things. And uh, you have a lot of commercial property in there. You have retail property, which I'm a little bit worried about. 
you have regional hotels, which I actually think will probably be okay. Uh, and then you have interesting things, which is my favorite story about this company, uh, which is that it owns the property that the Mogo Zoo is on. And I'm not <laughs> sure if you recall, but, but during the fire season, the, yeah. the, the keepers at Mogo Zoo quite heroically stayed back and, and fought the fire to try and save the animals, which they succeeded in doing largely. Uh, and I just thought that was a, a little story that came to mind and showed that the kind of, I guess, quality assets with people that have a lot of heart that are a part of this company ultimately. So because of that, I actually think that I suspect that it's undervalued right now. But as I said previously with vicinity centers, it's just not the kind of investment that I, I really look for. Mm, okay. All right. So good company. Um, Mark, what do you think? About uh, well, it doesn't pass um, our filters, right? Um, and it's it's only it's got five years uh, history. Um, we're actually um, the sales side. If you look at sales first, they've been growing at about seven percent a year, so their revenue is growing. So that's encouraging. Yep. That's been consistent, but their profit has been all over the shop. So after they listed, it went up, and it's been down. It's down. The last uh, report was uh, four cents, and the year before it was sixteen. Right. So, you know, significant change there. Uh, return on equity... And that's even before all of this yeah, hit. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, it depends on what their reporting date was, I'm not sure. But right. It might have yeah. picked up on the tiny bit of it. Yeah. So the earnings were down there, and the return on equity is now below 10, and debt's way over our, uh, uh, over our limit as well. Uh, I think Claude's point that it's the management... It's more of the management company rather than the, like the REIT as far as ownership. You know, that's a better place to be. Yep. But you should be able to manage your fees in that environment, I would have thought... Better, but as Claude said, they they're buying, they're trying to buy sort of distress assets and fix them up. To me, I read about it, and it all seemed very complicated. You know, they, they seem to be doing a lot of things for a 148 market cap. So right. it's a pretty small company, but it's doing a lot of stuff right. in different okay. areas. They're doing this, they're doing that, and consulting and all yeah. sorts of things. Which I, I, I find, if you're a small company, usually you're better off if you if you're sticking to a clear model and make it work, because yep. rather than trying to do too much. Yep. Good point. All so right. Be no for me. Um, Still, we're, we're kicking off with a few retailers today. Um, Mark, why don't you kick off with this one? Uh, sent in by, um, uh, by John. Uh, thank you for that, John. Mosaic Brands, a retailer, owns names like Rivers and Katie's and sort of fashion retail brands like that. How, yeah. do, how does Mosaic um, Well, it's, it's an interesting one. It's, it's the old Noni B uh, business, which is right. the main one. But they've actually got 1,400 stores under those yes, different big, brands. And I think Noni B is the biggest one, the biggest, yeah. uh, the biggest chain by, by brand name. Um, but as you said, they've got uh, yeah, 228 Rockmans uh, and uh, what else? Uh, Noni B and Jordan, Liz Jordan is right. the other one. Um, just looking at the financials. Now, obviously the financials, we have a prior Corona. Yep. Um, they, have, they, they are reopening the stores at the moment and they've said they've had an 80% increase in um, online sales. I don't know what the base from that was. Yep. So there was a limited amount of information on, on, uh, that's been uh, provided on what that, what that means. Uh, they said, though, they expect the first half uh, for, um, or the second half of this year uh, to uh, be a greater loss than the first half profit revenue, which is $132 million. Uh, right. And they're saying it's going to be the loss is going to be greater than that. Right. So they're flagging that. They haven't. I don't think they've done anything on um, um, capital raise perspective. They don't have a lot of debt. It's twenty seven percent debt to equity, which is not bad. Return on equity is okay. It sort of passes all our uh, our filters, and it's on a five p at the moment. So you know, it, it's yeah, not it's a, really like the moment when you consider <clears throat> not that long ago it was in the low three dollars, and it's now right. eighty eight cents. Well, it got down to twenty cents. Right. Okay. In, in, in the in the coronavirus in the, in the, in the yep. first big drop. Yeah. 
So I don't know enough about the business. It's not one that we've ever treated as being one of our best retailers. Because the way no. we look at it is most, most members only want to have, say, 20 or so uh, stocks in their portfolio. Yeah. So if you're going to say, well, I want, I, like, I want to have a retailer or two, you want the best one. Right. So okay. there's, but the financials look good. Okay. Um, and you know, perhaps it'll go back. It might revisit the 20 cents. You never know. Unlikely. Right. By the yeah. way. Yeah. Because uh, that was a massive hit. The market overreacted on retail. Right. You know, when the coronavirus came, it really yeah. assumed the worst. It's the end of the world. Yeah. For retail, yeah. which is clearly absurd. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's a quality quality business. It's been around for a long. It's been around for quite a while. I've got 10 years. Uh, history here, which is uh, which is pretty solid. So it would be for Team Invest portfolio competing with Nick Scarly to it be would. in a portfolio. And AX1. Right, yeah. yeah. Okay. So I'd rather have AX1. Yeah. Um, the stability of the earnings is not quite as uh, good as, as those. Yeah. So Nick Scarly is straight. Yeah. EPS growth and Axie sure. growth is pretty good as well. Sure. Yeah. All right, Claude, right. Right. how does Mosaic Brand <clears throat> stack up for you? Well, I know that it's a bit of a favourite of investment professionals. Lots of little small cap funds are involved in this one. It makes me uh, deeply uncomfortable to see a crowded trade like that and then you run into an environment where it's not doing very well. For context, this is a company that downgraded prior to COVID. So it blamed the bushfires for weak yeah. sales in, in before the pandemic even disrupted everything. So I'm not... I guess there's like value play there for somebody who essentially might outline the, the vague thesis I imagine many buyers have is, oh, look, it might not be the best company, but it's just too cheap right now. Well, you can take that approach if you want, but it's certainly not been a successful approach over the last decade, decade or, say, or so. You can just look at some of the, uh, pro uh, the share prices of the high-profile listed so-called value funds, and they've been an absolute disaster for shareholders. You know, one of them's not even beating the market over since inception, which is more than 10 years ago now. It's just not been an approach that has worked in an environment where increasingly more and more of the spoils are going to the more innovative tech stocks, the big U.S. companies. Uh, these guys are an old world business and the only angle is, oh, it's just not as bad as the market thinks it is. Well, yeah, good luck to you, but it's, it's not something that I go for. <laughs> All right, okay. So I know for Mosaic Brands, um, for Team Investor, it's Nick Scarly or Accent. Yeah, um, they're the two, they're the two best to if, if you want to go into retail. Um, our fourth stock called Blue Scope Steel. Uh, this has been sent in uh, by Scott, this suggestion. Thank you for that, Scott. Um, what do you reckon of Blue Scope, Claude? Well, I... I, I think about Blue Scope on two separate levels. One is I, as a Australian patriot, a quietly spoken one, really believe in Australian manufacturing and heavy industry companies. So I'm 100% behind these guys succeeding. And I'm more interested in their Australian op operations from that level. Uh, having said that, as an investor, do I want to be part of the journey? Well, probably not. I imagine there are some people that uh, have some a thesis at this point where you could say, well, there's going to be a large amount of stimulus that will lead, that will, well, I hope there will be a large amount of stimulus that will see both Australia and the US, where they also have operations, building a lot of things. Because one great way to try to improve an economy in a way that is not wasteful is to spend money building things that make people's lives better in the future and then you've got infrastructure that future generations can use so these guys could well benefit from that and what's more 
even though they're in a really tough business, they've made comments quite recently that indicate that they're not in too tight a spot right now. So I wouldn't be too worried if I was a shareholder. Having said that, you know what I'm like as an investor. I'm when I'm investing my risk capital. You know, I've got my I've got my safe investments as well. I've got my cash. Don't worry about that. I'm a bit cautious and bearish overall. But when I'm investing my risk capital, I want to find the stuff that is a little bit disruptive or at least innovative, that's growing quickly, that has a clear long-term tailwind. And even though there's probably tapped the brakes at the moment, the long-term tailwind in the steel industry and the building materials industry has generally been uh, making it harder for uh, producers in uh, developed countries as uh, producers in developing countries are able to undercut them on cost. So okay. I'm pretty. I would. I would avoid it personally, but I. I still cheer them on. I'll tell you that much. Okay. Of course, they make the Colorbond roofing. And That's right. They've got some really good brands. Zinc and Colorbond. Yeah. So sheet, sheet steel, hot world coal, yep. coal and so on. Um, they, they, they've also. It, it is actually an international business, and it's really a story of two businesses. Uh, up until 2016. It was a, a shocker. Mm. You know, it, was, it went from lurching from problems to problem management change. Yeah. They refocused it. And since then, they've actually performed very well in what is an extremely tough business. Yeah. Uh, this is highly capital intensive. They've built a very good business in the US. We have looked at it, by the yeah. way. Team Invest has done a full analysis on it. We found it very hard. We spoke to management as well. Um, the US, I really like the US operation. They have mini mills. Mm. Uh, basically, the US was way behind in uh, efficient uh, steel production uh, compared to Germany and China and everybody else for a long time. And th there was an opportunity, so they opened up in the Midwest and they built these mini mills, which are like arc furnaces, uh, small, big by our standards, but US right. standards small. Right. And they, re they recycle scrap. Ah. And there's three billion tons of scrap just where they are. You know, so they've got plenty of scrap. Yeah. <laughs> and they, re they re reprocess it. And they, and they actually have a, a significant uh, margin um, uh, advantage over their competitors in the US, in the Midwest. Right. So they're running about 18% margin. The competitors are 12 and 10 and so on. Mm. So that gives them a bit of, well, not okay. pricing power, but you know, it means that they, they can still make money if others aren't. So yep. we really like that business. In Australia, it's a different story. You know, we've got a very old business. We've got super high uh, power costs right. and so on, which is really, you know, it's hard to see how in the long term we can have a steel industry in Australia yep. unless we yep. go nuclear or do something that the Greenies couldn't stand, yep. you know, yeah. to, to get the prices or, down. Or do what GFG are doing in Wyala and you build a massive solar uh, oh. operation there to I, I say to B, BS, right. I think oh, that no. is, you know, to okay. be able, not, not for, not for uh, making steel and so right. you know, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's so energy intensive. Yep. Anyway, so I think from our point of view, we failed it. Uh, I like what they're doing um, yep. and, and their, their earnings will be good, even though, as Claude said, they, they've come up, they've been down a bit on the uh, last period, but they've actually done extremely well. And, you know, if I had it, I'd probably, I'd probably keep it, but uh, it's just too hard. Right. Okay. All right. So uh, everyone's cheering Blue Scope on yep. for all the right reasons. Australia manufacturing, but a bit hard at the moment. Um, Mark, what do you think of uh, Big Australian? BHP. Uh, okay, well, BHP, we don't like BHP, so we're going to go against the, uh, the consensus oh. view on that. I mean, BHP has been um, a mediocre company rather than a star company forever, or for a long time. In fact, during the mining boom, if you look at it from 202 to 212, which was the main mining boom when all the prices went through the roof, yep. and uh, BHP had a negative total return for the 10 years during that period. Wow. Yeah, it was minus 1.1%. Minus average compound return, negative. Yeah, yeah. Now, why was that? 
because they, they were making, they were printing money, but they were blowing it all on bad capital allocation. So they had a whole series of major acquisitions which ended up getting written off or right. turned out to be disasters. Yeah. Now companies, so it's one thing, people get focused and say, oh, well, iron ore prices are at record prices, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's, that's true. And there's at, at certain times, I'm sure people have made money out of BHP and lost it, trading it. Yeah. But we're long-term investors, so we're working on five years. So I looked at the last 10 years and it's averaged 4%. So for the last 10 years, May to May, 10 years, uh, total return to shareholders is 4%. Capital value slightly negative, um, and it's all been uh, out of dividends. So the right. dividends have meant 4% return. 4% returns, is, is, to me, is really, we really weak. Yeah. It's not much more than inflation. Yeah. So for us, it's just a mediocre company. I have zero interest mm. in it, and we don't. Uh, we, and they're also their price takers, of course, because ultimately they are, uh, they're, the market will dictate how much they can make. Yeah, competing on uh, competitive pressure, and I'd say that if Vale hadn't had the problems in Brazil, right. which is basically taking Keeping them out of the, the market, uh, it's also yep. it's forced China to uh, by increasing volumes. I think volumes are up twenty percent since yep. the GFC, yep. uh, and the dollar's gone down. So it's been very good for BHP, but that's luck. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been right place, right time. Yep. The biggest competitor uh, by far has been out of action. Right. So I don't think that's that's sustainable <laughs> either. So. No. Well, you've just popped the BHP bubble like like you do with the big four bags. Yeah. Um, great brand names, but not great investments. Claude, what do you think of BHP? It's not really your style, BHP, is it? Yeah, well, it's not my style, and I really enjoyed that uh, scathing assessment then. Uh, however, I will, I'll, I'll add a little balance, even though you guys know I'm not going to be buying it myself. But I, I do think that this, is a company that will absolutely, you know, out, outlive many of us today. Oh, it's, sure. it's a real, it's got really special assets. It'll be around for a really long time. Uh, as, as long as we're using steel to build things around the world, as long as we need iron ore, BHP is going to be really hard to, con, uh, to compete with. So if I was going to buy any mining company, I would actually consider BHP. However, we've got two major factors, which the We've already touched on, but just to rehash in my mind, the short-term headwind is that things aren't necessarily going great with China, and we don't quite know how that can impact the the big exporters. But the 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 second thing for me is that the problem with miners is as they make more money and as they progress, their priority is always to find more mines and keep mining and keep mining and. That is why you have this effect, whereas even when a company has amazing assets, absolute, like some of the best in the world, shareholders don't profit nearly enough because management is always keen on finding the next one, finding the next one, and often they don't succeed. Yeah, and they have to invest in it. You don't get the returns of the good ones. Okay, so a no for BHP from both uh, Mark and Claude. That's, uh, that's our fifth stock. Uh, for the day, if you include, include vicinity, uh, a no from both Mark and Claude, just to recap. Um, a yes for Nick Scarly uh, on a pullback from Mark, no from Claude, uh, no on Eleanor Investments. And Mosaic Brands, uh, a no if you want to get into uh, retail. Uh, Claude is in love with Temple and Webster, but even he admits it's a bit high. So on a pullback, Maybe Temple and Webster uh, from the Team Invest Group. It's, it's Accent, basically, and Nick Scarley are the mm. two good retail ones. A no for Blue Scope still and a no for BHP. Let's kick in the, uh, the second half of our 10 stocks here on the call for this Tuesday afternoon. 
This one suggested by Evan and uh, Claude Fisher and Paykel, not the uh, not the fridge and the uh, the washing machine, but the the health manufacturer uh, manufacturer and designs whole range of respiratory care acute care products, don't they? Yeah, so I think uh, this is a great company to be discussing and it's certainly one I've looked at repeatedly over the last few months. And the key reason for that is that they make respiratory humidifiers and consumables, which are both directly involved in treating patients with coronavirus. So not only is it positioned to uh, you know, benefit from the terrible pandemic, but also it's part of the solution. Like this is really, mm. it's, we need this company right now. The world needs this company right now, which is of course why it's been on my list of stocks to look at and potentially own for months now. Unfortunately, I've never actually bought it. And the reason I've not bought it yet is I just can't bring myself to pay such a high multiple when I know at some point, oh, I don't know this actually. I think, I hope and think that at some point we'll get a vaccine and this problem will start going away now if you wanted to and this is i'm almost talking myself into it here right if you wanted to buy a company that would be positioned to be bigger in a scenario where we can't get rid of coronavirus then this might be such a company and in a way you could think of it as a hedge against that really bad result uh which is that of course uh the coronavirus just keeps circulating for years and, and we don't get a vaccine. Now, I don't want that to happen, but you could imagine somebody buying this in, right. as a sort of protection. This could, this could be a hedge against it. <laughs> yeah, All exactly. Right. Okay. Uh, Mark, what do you think of <coughs> uh, Fisher & uh, Paykel is uh, an outstanding uh, wealth winner uh, yeah. from Tim Invest's point of view. Unfortunately for me, I've never owned it. Uh, and we actually started looking at this company in detail back in 2013 and it was a dollar forty-five. Wow! Right? Now at the time, it was on a thirteen PE, so, right. right? And a lot of Team Invest members bought it. Now they're right. very happy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's now twenty-seven dollars. But, but for you, it's one of these uh, stocks I, I, that well, you hate no, to be reminded no, of. I, I, it, the corona, <laughs> the coronavirus, is, gave, it, gave it a little bit of a lift right. yeah, through the crisis. It's not their business. Their business is. Um, providing ventilators, but or air-controlled hospitals, right. and they, they supply all the consumables. Right. So coronavirus is just a, you know, like, yes, that's their area, and it's good for them yep. for ventilators, yep. but it makes zero difference to the business over the long term. Their EPS growth has been running at 19% a year. Uh, uh, that's the profit growth, yep. uh, with 98% stability. In other words, for the last 10 years, there's been less than 2% variation in its EPS growth rate, which wow. is spectacular. Yeah. Now, that's what you want, because if I know they can keep doing that, then I can price it and work out what my returns are. Uh, the sales are 98% stable as well, 25% return on equity, virtually no debt. Um, it's on a 67 PE at wow. the moment, which is nearly all-time high. Yep. So I couldn't buy it now, and I've yep. but I've had plenty of chances and I've been really uh, silly in not buying it. And if it came down to, well, from my point of view, it would need to come down to about $17. It's currently 27 Right. Now, that could happen if we have a market drop. Yeah. You know, but, but Fisher & Parker was obviously, uh, it's getting a tailwind from the coronavirus, but it makes zero, it's not a factor in their business okay. uh, long term. Fantastic right. company. Right. So not at these prices for both... Uh, Claude and Mark, but if it comes down below 20 bucks... Yeah, I'd say so 17 for me. So if it... Uh, should you be having a list of stocks, if there's a big pullback, Yeah, you get into them? 
sort of oh, five, well, six, seven I think that what investors tend not to do is they don't work out what they want to buy first. So when yeah. you have the big pullback, then they're looking to go, what should I buy? Uh, and, right. and, and the businesses yeah. all aren't equal. Yeah. yeah. The thing with Fisher and Paykel right now on our modelling, uh, giving them a terminal P of 39, which yeah. is okay for 20% EPS growth in five years time, you're going to get 8.7% return. Right. So if you buy it now, you know, that's the way we look at it. It's yeah. just saying, okay, if I buy it now, what's my return? What's my risk? Yep. Uh, I think the risk is very, very low. This is a New Zealand-based company, yep. dual listed yep. here. Yep. Um, you get 8.7%. Now, for some investors, 8.7% at the moment when the cash rates, you know, one and one and so on, is actually very good for right. a quality company. This yep. this company rates up there with CSL and Cochlear. Right. From, oh. our, from our point of view. Gee, that's a big rate. Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. But uh, wait for the pullback on that. Our seventh stock. Uh, Mark Citadel Group, um, basically a software technology company, Canberra-based, uh, acquired um, a UK software business um, in the healthcare area not so long ago. Um, but sounds as though it is in in that um, uh, software technology that um, is is management technology for keeping the health industry running and governments? Yeah, I, I found it difficult to actually work out what they really did because, yeah. you know, there's a lot of uh, motherhood statements about, you know, solving problems and all this, and you go, right. what do you actually do? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah. yes, you're right. And it says in their technology, they specialise in data, video and voice technology management, assisting clients with managing the company, complexities of technology across yeah. a number of industries. Yeah. Well, that's really clear, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, looking at their numbers, uh, they've only been listed for five years, so not very long. And their, their growth rate's been uh, about 9%, but all over the shop. So it's actually went up and it's down. It's below now what it was when it was listed, yep. which for a technology company at the moment is not a good look. Uh, they don't have much debt and they currently fail on return on equity for us. So we'd right. have zero interest and it's under 22 PE, which is not cheap yep. um, for what it is. Yep. Claude, do you know much about Citadel? Yeah, so of course this one does fall into my wheelhouse uh, being a small cap tech stock. And I looked at it many years ago and it was really attractive looking. Now, the reason it's hard to tell what it really does is because this is a, it's essentially an information security company that works for uh, the kind of departments in Canberra that we, you know, we won't get, we won't hear a customer testimonial uh, from right. because okay. they're, they're to do with so national being deliberately security obsessed. and that Confused. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, they, they a lot, the best part of their business, the most profitable part of their business, from what I can tell, is in dealing with these high security companies. And and in fact, this is how Citadel Group was founded. You've essentially got people that had had careers in, say, military or uh, other national uh-huh. security roles, who have then formed consultancies. And then they've merged consultancies and they've taken more and more of this work for this really high security stuff for the managing the communications and all of that kind of thing. And they've floated it. And that business is hard to get. It's very sticky. It's high margin. But the problem is it's also, it's not high growth in any way. shape. I mean, it's growing maybe, but it's not going to drive it. And what they've done to drive it is they've tried to move into sort of government healthcare software and that's the side of the business that they've expanded and talked a lot about over the last few years. So you can very much get an impression that, you know, that's what it's all about. But actually, the way it started was um, more in security stuff. And 
I think that all of the acquisitions and the moving into healthcare and all that sort of stuff, it's diversification. So the actual little core business that they had uh, was, you know, a really good business. But if I'm not hmm. mistaken, most of, if not all of the people that originally built that core business have now left the company. There's, a lot of them have sold their shares or at least they have sold some of their shares and no longer as involved. And right. they've been stepping away from all of that. And it's merged into a different kind of entity. And in that time, the share price today is actually lower than what it was perhaps five years ago when I first looked at it. Eight um, stock, uh, Margaret sent this in, uh, Mark Service Stream. And basically what they do is they, they do, their biggest contracts are NBN. So they're, right. they're doing uh, NBN installations nationally. I think, I, don't, I think they're the biggest contractor, but right. uh, no, don't quote me. And it's been, if you look at their earnings over the history, they really took off with the MBN. So for the last six years, they've been growing at 70% a year, their wow. earnings growth, yeah. which is really good. And the share price has sort of gone up. You know, we followed it up as right. well, you know, logically. So the, they actually do water and gas as well. So it's, every, it's pipe laying, it's everything to do with communications right. networks and so on. Yep. So, but the NBN's the main game. Now they say it's gonna continue on. So even once the NBN's built out, they're, they're, main, they're involved in maintenance and so on as well. Right. Now I don't know exactly how much of the build uh, income will be replaced by maintenance and so on. So the, you question the growth rate you know, right. going forward. I think yeah. the, the growth rate is the NBN, yep. in our view. Yep. Uh, return on equity is 16. They've got a little, not much debt. Um, so there's nothing wrong with it on the financials. It meets all of our uh, all of our criteria. Uh, and it's on a 15 P at the moment. So we're showing it returning about 18% on a margin of safety over the next five years uh, with a buy price up to about $2.90. So it's a buy if you like it. Right, okay. Claude? Yeah, I think that Service Stream does deserve a spot on the watch list at the very least. I've followed this company for years now. And blimey, I do wish I bought it years ago when I first looked at it. It was about 20 cents. And essentially, you know, the story has been like high growth as the NBN rolled out. That's not going to be the story going forward, in my no. opinion, no. Uh, because, you know, you know, that's the end of it. But they're still going to have maintenance contracts and they're not priced excessively you know, for massive growth. So if they sort of just do a few things right, if they're managed well, and to be frank, what I've seen over the last fair few years does suggest to me that they probably will be managed well, you could do a lot worse than Service Stream. Having said that, this is the kind of stock that I would actually uh, look to buy if there was a recession. Um, our ninth stock, IPH, this is, uh, Stephen has sent this in, and wanting an opinion on IPH, uh, the IP stands for intellectual property and anything market intellectual properties they're, they're in from uh, protecting it, commercialising it, enforcing it. Yeah, it's, like, uh, it's like a listed patent attorney. Group, yeah, 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 yeah. It's really the Lawyers, best way to describe it. I was going to say, is yeah, which, in IP. Yeah, which yeah. is interesting. I mean, I think a lot of services business like lawyers and so on, and I, this fits into the same category, yeah. uh, don't often work well as listed entities because they're before that they're always partnerships yeah. and when you take those partners who really run the show and, and so on suddenly make it a listed entity to other employees it doesn't seem to work well because <laughs> they've got the whole life livelihood of, of that basis yeah and a so, lifestyle you know it's, it's been listed for six years and uh, it's showing four percent uh, eps growth average uh, over the last uh, six years so very very flat earnings but high stability 95 percent right. stability so in other words it's a reliable four and a half percent of growth so very little growth now that's okay because if right. you're an investor and you're looking at a decent, uh, reliable return, all the other numbers are good. Yep. Um, we're showing it returning 6% a year at the current price. 
So right. no, 6%, I wouldn't touch it. But if you could get no. 10 or 12, say. Yeah. Uh, so if I, uh, if I say I want to get... Uh, well, so would you say it's a, from an investment point of view, it's a reliable underperformer? Yeah, it's a, right. it's a mediocre performer, but right. it's, for, it's reliable. That's a good way of describing right. it. Right, okay. So um, if I wanted to get 12% return, um, I could only pay um, uh, $5.87, and it's currently seven sixty. So right. it goes to... It doesn't turn me on yep, because yep. I want twenty percent return. Yeah, but you know, at the right price, you know, okay. it pays pays it pays out um, uh, a ninety uh, percent to ninety five percent dividend, so it pays all the earnings yeah. out. Yeah. So if you're looking for dividends yeah. and we have a market uh, drop, it's already been yeah. down at six dollars in the coronavirus. Okay, uh, you know, at six dollars, uh, you know, you, you're going to get about twelve percent return. All right, okay, um, Claude, what do you think? Uh, IPH doesn't turn Mark on. Does it turn you on? doesn't turn me on, but I do think it's a, it's, it's a decent uh, business that is growing by acquiring um, other businesses here in Australia, less so now and, and more trying to expand overseas. And they have uh, very stable earnings, as we just discussed, uh, which actually is really what you want if you're going to do this roll-up model where you acquire, because the way that those kind of businesses generally blow up is that you know, they're borrowing against earnings, which suddenly drop, and then they're in big trouble straight away. Yes. Now, if you've got earnings that really will not drop, that actually puts you in a position to leverage things like this. Now, I think that the key bear point uh, Mark made, which is that you actually have fairly highly paid and uh, reasonably, you know, sought after professionals that sometimes... Uh, can leave these kind of partnerships. And I certainly, yeah, well, they do. But I certainly think that that's a bigger issue in uh, different little niches than IP law because a lot of the revenues from IP law and patent attorneys are sort of very much like recurring revenue revenues that really are attached to the firm. Yeah. And that makes it a lot more difficult for IP patent attorneys to just get up and leave and take their clients with them than it does for, uh, say, even just solicitors who may be commercial solicitors and do M&A for a big company and they have a team and the company knows that really there's just a team of about four or five people who are doing these M&A for them yeah. and they can basically just follow them over and, and that's why it happens much more frequently in general uh, law practices than it would in IP Law, so I do think this is probably actually a a time where capitalist aggregation of a, a former profession will work out okay. Uh, but I do agree with Mark. You probably want to buy this one on the dips and, and sort of value it on its dividend, really, yep. because you can't you can't rely on any organic growth at all. Okay. Really. All right. Um, and our final stock, uh, Claude Pro Pack Packaging. Um, they describe themselves as a rigid packaging company. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting how often uh, we get these packaging, packaging companies, companies yeah. com coming up on the weird. show. I and I'm not. I'm not sure who. I don't know. I don't know how the how the people are finding them. And, uh, and look, <laughs> uh, we'll cut. We'll cut to the chase. I think that the the question needs to be asked for this kind of business is is why are you buying it? Uh, do we think we live in a world right now where demand for packaging generally is low and where and that's a growth industry? Because what I see is pictures of 
these huge islands in the oceans full of all of this plastic waste <laughs> and all of this sort of stuff. Yeah. And I see young people, if you listen to young people, they consider that a problem. Like this is yeah. not something that generations coming up that will shape the world in the future. It's not something that they're in favor of. And it doesn't matter if pro-packed packaging is better. Well, yeah. well, maybe not. Um, what, what do you think then, Mark? Oh, no, I think your, your, your opinion on young people and so on is probably true. But as a business, uh, there's probably no problem in the short term and the medium term for them to run a viable business. But their numbers are terrible. So if you look at their earnings, they were three times higher 10 years ago right. than what they are now. And so we're showing a negative return um, of minus 14% a year if you buy it at the current PE of 8 so right. I, would, I wouldn't touch it. It's only 140 million market cap. It's very illiquid yeah. as well. So, yeah. And I agree with the point of saying, why would you buy it? Yeah. Uh, you know, forget the you know, long-term political environment or whether packaging and what happens to packaging. Yeah, as no, a business... But Claude's point, I suppose, is consumer um, uh, taste for packaging, if you like, is changing enormously. Um, it, not yeah, just it, with the other. It's more... It's right. more just a headwind, right? Yeah. The whole industry yeah. is a yeah. headwind. And, and yeah. I'm, I'm a tailwind investor, I guess, is what I was trying to get <laughs> yeah. at. I should have been clear on that. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. no. no, I agree. All right. Uh, that's it. So a no for pro pack, uh, packaging. Um, if we just uh, sum up the, uh, the final five stocks, uh, uh, Fisher & Paykel, good company, big price um, at the moment, Fisher & Paykel Health. If uh, currently twenty seven dollars, if it gets down to seventeen, well then it's worth looking at. Uh, yeah, Mark says it's up there with CSL and and Cochlear as uh, a great health company. So that's a big grab. Citadel, I know. Uh, Service Stream, an interesting business, uh, very dependent on the NBN going forward, but good good solid earnings. Uh, IPH, I know, and uh, Propac Packaging. A no from both of them. Mark Mullen from Team Invest, great to have you along. Thank you. Uh, Claude, really appreciate your time as usual from A Rich Life. Um, have a great week. Thank <clears> you <throat> and you too. If you want to suggest any stocks that you want us to look at as uh, a group here on the call, uh, just email them through uh, the call at ausbiz.com.au uh, or through our Twitter handle at ausbiztv. TV.